Welcome to Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> Dude, Wednesday afternoon. It's an unusual day and time. Yes. For a special right. episode. <laughs> an unspecial episode. Will it be more, um, I don't know, more energetic or less? Probably less. Oh no, are you fading fast? Is this getting close to bedtime? <laughs> Oh man. Getting into your dinner hour. Yeah. Yeah. Blue light special. Lorna Dune and sourdough. I can see it already. <laughs> oh my lordy. Let's give a quick pre-roll shout out to NVS Fins, surfnvs.com. Promo code is podcast. And of course, Need Essentials. If you're in the USA, neatessentialsusa.com is the website. But uh, all your wetsuit and outerwear needs. Yeah, friggin' I love my Naked Vikings fins, NVS fins, and and I love my Need Essentials. I mean, come on, what, what's not to, what's not to love? You know, like love. I mean, super tight pricing and super good product. It's a no brainer. It really is. NVS and- promo code podcast. Dial them up right now. Need essentials? No promo code needed. Let's go. Come on, let's go. As we see, some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, friggin' guy. It's Wednesday. It's the last day of June in the year of our Lord 2021. And David Lee Scales with me here as we embark on an afternoon episode of Spit. David, good afternoon. Good afternoon. You know what the last day of June also indicates? Uh, no. What does it indicate? The last day for our supporters to win the Channel Islands to Happy. We're going to randomly select a winner from our pool of supporters tomorrow morning. And one lucky person will win that board. By the way, uh, I put one of those boards under my arm the other day in the parking lot. A guy had just got received one, purchased one. I think feels really, really good. You know what's interesting about that board? Hmm. You probably know this, right? You have one at your house right now? Yeah. The bead goes all the way up the rail like the Black Beauty. Yep. And I think that that's interesting. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Obviously, they think it's a good thing. I'm sure it is. Um, but that interests me. That that made me go, I want to ride this board. You know, it was like it had that bead. So what would that do to your surfing? Well, I've had so I've ridden a Black Beauty in some pretty good waves in Indonesia and I found that that bead running all the way up the rail, I found a few times I'd go down to the bottom to set my bottom turn and the board would continue to just kind of like skate out and slide out into the flats instead of going up the wave face. I'd be like, okay, here I go. Freaking Tom Curran. Let's go bros. And the thing would like, just continue to like, like what's the word I'm looking for. I don't want to say slide. It would more like just kind of like, 
drift into continue to drift into the flats of the wave instead of and um and i mean that could be um i'm not saying that the design isn't you know it's just a surfboard you know everyone some people love that some people or it could be my chicken legs couldn't engage the rail the whole time you know like who knows what it is it could be as much my fault as anything it probably is how did you compensate for it I took an ax to the board on the boat and I burned it as a surf sacrifice. So not a fan of the black beauty. I, you know, the black beauty is the classic board where you, where you're like, Oh my God, I'm going to rip on this board. Like Tom Curran rips on this board. And you just have so many preconceived notions about, or I should say, I, I had so many preconceived notions about, how I was going to surf like Tom Curran on this board. And it just, you know, there were so many fantasies um, sort of rolling through this brain of mine about, and, uh, and I took it, I think I had a six, five or a six, six and it paddled. It did everything really good. Except when I was trying to engage off the bottom, it seemed to want to drift out into the flat. So my fantasies were just that. They were fantasies. They weren't realities. Now, of course, Tom Curran can ride anything and rip on it. And, I mean, he friggin' won world titles on that board. So who am I to judge? It's interesting. Um, I think so much of our enjoyment and even performance has to do with expectation and setting low expectations is kind of a key to success or it's the key to at least having fun. And yeah, I agree with you. You were saying you just had all of these expectations for that board. There's almost no way for the board to live up to it. And of course we all experience that more when it comes to the waves themselves. If you pull up to the beach and there, and it looks like it's pumping and you're like, Oh, I'm going to get so shacked inevitably you have a terrible session, but when you just roll up and you don't have any thoughts, cause it looks kind of marginal, you end up having the most fun, you know? You know, I, I think I've told you in the past, another board that I had that experience with was the MR twin fin. So MR was in town. I got an MR twin fin. And I mean, MR was my guy when I was, you know, 15 years old or whatever, MR was the shit, you know, like I was just all about MR that knock knee, that wounded gull, that, that ripping at Honolulu Bay and free ride, just MR was the guy, you know, and he was my guy. And, uh, and I bought an MR twin fin, you know, in like, I don't know, 2004 or whatever. And I had these visions of me going wounded gall, you know, just like just ripping the snot out of it and just Bay of plenty, just ripping or whatever. And, um, I couldn't surf the board. Didn't do, I could barely do a bottom turn on the thing. And about, I don't know, three months later, I was surfing out at um, Lania Kea and Mark was out and I went, hey, Mark, you know, I got to tell you, you know, we were sitting and waiting or whatever. And I go, hey, I got to tell you, I had this visions of me absolutely ripping on your, on the twin fin. And I, I kind of had some problems <laughs> riding it. I didn't, and he's like, you know, he's basically like, yeah, I don't ride that design anymore. It's kind of a piece of shit. It was 20 <laughs> years ago, you know? And, but, he, but he didn't say it like that, but that was the vibe I got. He actually goes, you know what you need to do? You got to surf that board off the fins. You can't, I had this thing where I was going to bury the rail, you know, because that's kind of what I do. That's kind of, that's all I got really is a buried rail bottom turn. He's like, no, no, no. You've got to ride off of the fin. You kind of got to just have that back foot kind of just pivoting off of the fin. Yeah. There's a lot of fin area. 
And he did say, you know, I've, I've adapted that design. I now ride it as a two, as a two plus one, you know, um, his super twin, I think he called it at the time. But anyway, another board where I had a surf star and I had a, a film, you know, visions of this guy ripping on it. And I was transferring that to my experience. And of course, I completely failed. I, uh, talking about surfing off the fins, I just got a board from your buddy Tim at Blackbird. Oh, really? Yeah. He calls it the Hawkeye and it's a twin fin and it's real flat entry rocker. And the bottom, the rail is tucked real low. So it feels like a lot of flatness on the bottom as well. Just when you're holding it, you know, because that tuck is so low, it just, and the, and the entry rocker is low. And um, it's kind of got a disc shaped outline more rounded outline. And then it's a pintail with um, twin fins, but it's just, I had a hard time wrapping my head around it, just holding it, you know, and yeah. looking at it, I'm just like, God, I don't really know what to do with this thing. But he sent me some footage of his son surfing it and his son was surfing it really well in decent ways on the, uh, I'm not sure. Caleb or Micah? I don't remember. They, they both rip, but Micah might a be- Regular footer on the North they're shore. Both, they're both regular okay. footers. And, um, he was surfing it like a short board. You know, he wasn't surfing it like a twin fin. He wasn't surfing it differently. He was just well, surfing twin it like fins a short are board. Shortboards. Right. So that footage was helpful before I surfed the board. And I've only surfed it twice so far. But the key to success on that board is, like you said, getting back on the fin because you can't, because of that flatness and the way the rail is tucked, you can't, it's hard to bury the rail. So you almost want to be skating on it you know you can still get drive i say skating and i don't mean that it's a skatey board it has a lot of drive but you want to be pushing and turning off that back third of the board and the fins not leaning forward and kind of setting a rail early you want to be back and kind of driving off that back end and and the thing has a lot of propulsion and i surfed it in head high waves and it was holding up even though the board's i think it's 510 it's less than six feet for sure so it, it holds it's not skatey in that respect, but you want to be on that back end, end of it, you know? You know, he made a board for my son. Um, I think it's the same model. I know it's a, a round pin twin fin. And it's your description of your board sounds very much like the one my son has. And my son loves it. He's absolutely he? frothing on the thing. Yeah. I like it too. And again, it's only been two sessions. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'll talk more about it in months to come. Yeah. Uh, that's his, his younger son, Caleb, he said. Yeah. Yeah. At log cabins and off the wall. Um, but back to, we're giving away the channel islands. I've got two more boards in the queue that we're going to be giving away as well. So even if people don't, uh, win this one, there's more to come and surfboard shapers have been fantastic with hooking me up with the boards in advance so that I can ride them and have something to to discuss. How come I don't get to ride any of these boards? I texted you with this exact one with Tim's and I was like, Hey, should we get one that's sized for both of us? What did I say? I'll tell you off air. Oh my God. The answer is of course I want one. You didn't say no, but it wasn't so simple. So cut and dry. It was more along the lines of you have a lot of clients at the boardroom show. And so we'd have to, it'd be difficult to kind of pick and choose the ones that we would review essentially is what it comes down to. Well, maybe I need to readjust that because um, Tim's a dear friend of mine. He's made me some great boards. I only know Tim through you originally. Um, 
but the Channel Islands twin pin, man, after I held it in the parking lot, I was like, this board. No, too happy. I want, I, the, yeah, the too happy. Yeah, thanks. I want to, what is it? No. Oh, we're giving away the too happy? Yeah. Were but, you but holding the, the twin pin? Yeah, I was holding the Mike February. Oh, oh okay, okay. That's the one that has the bead up the the entire okay. thing. Do you have that okay. one? No, I have the two happy. Oh, so we're all confused here. But anyway, the um, <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah, you, the uh, twin fin, the Mikey February twin fin looks ridiculous. Looks like, I mean, every I want to ride every board. That's I know, I know, that's problem. the thing. So, it, bringing it back to surfboards, I want to well, talk about we never pricing. Left. Well, I'm sorry, you're right. L bring it back to purchasing surfboards. Let's put it that way. Uh, I want to talk about price increases. This has been a hot topic in the last week or two. Channel Islands sent out an email to their customers. Chris Christensen posted an Instagram um, of a piece of plywood. You might be thinking, how does that relate to surfing? It was at Home Depot. Did you see this? No. It was just a photo of Home Depot's price on a piece of plywood. And it was $120. You're Chris, kidding. No. And Chris said... I, one no year ago, piece, a four by eight piece of plywood. Yes. And he goes a year ago, I bought this exact same sheet of plywood for $10. So it's gone up 12 fold in one year. And, you know, um, all the comment comments got political. I think Devin Howard blamed Biden at some point, oh my but, <laughs> but like that, it all got political real quick, but, uh, it turns out the Channel Islands had just sent out an email the same day, and I want to say that Stab Magazine wrote an article, but I they went did. to look. I went they to did. look for that article today yeah. and couldn't find it. I had put it in our notes for last week's show. I just didn't okay. get to it, but I have it right here. It's but it's. I mean, you basically mentioned it. You know, look, surfboard prices are increasing. It's coming. It's already here, quite frankly, and it's due to global EPS foam. Globally, EPS foam is being hard to source. Um, the supply chain, the production of a lot of it is. That stuff was made overseas. And um, frankly, China's using it. Like a lot of the people in Asia, they're not shipping it here because they need it. And um, polyester resin, a, a, a tub of polyester resin, a, a barrel of resins, like tripled. Um, and of course, labor, there's a lack of labor. And that's a problem. And so they have to increase labor um, wages to get labor to show up for work. And then there's transportation issues, getting these boards up and down the coasts and, and around countries and stuff. There's gas issues, gasoline prices, fuel prices that are involved with transportation, not to mention labor getting drivers around. So there's a, a number of different factors here, and they're all um, pointing towards a huge increase in surfboard prices. And I think we're already seeing them. Yeah. And that... I could speak to the freight costs are literally two and a half to three times what they were six months ago. Um, and then of course, here in Southern California, if you surf in Orange County, you see tons of shipping uh, containers, cargo ships stuck. And this has been for months now. There's a line of a hundred of them outside of San Pedro's port. And that is not just, you know, surfboards coming from overseas, but it's a lot of materials that are used to make surfboards. Um, everything's held up. The, the problem, so I'm glad that surfboard pricing is increasing because it's actually been stagnant for 50, 40, 30 years. Um, I could say arguably 30 years, it is 
absolutely not raised at the price of inflation. And so you and I have talked about this on the show. It comes up pretty frequently where board builders, uh, number one, can't afford to buy a home in Southern California because housing pricing has increased way more rapid than inflation has. But also well, it's not they just can't, board builders, it's, it's the, police officers, it's teachers, it's basically, there's no opportunity for the middle class to purchase homes here. You have to- And for board home. builders, they then can't even get health insurance. You know, they can't, yeah. like they honestly cannot make a living or we've had a lot of board builders who have transitioned out of board building to make a living in construction uh, because it's more lucrative. And all of that could be solved by more expensive surfboards. The problem I have with what's happening right now is they're not gonna make any more profit out of these boards. I feel like these boards that were $800 last year will now be maybe $1,200, $1,400 in the coming months, but the shaper themselves or the board builder will not see any of that additional income because it's all yeah. going to the wood expense and the, tr the freight and everything that you said. Yeah, the supply chain, all of the, well, you know, the, obviously then the hope is that these prices come down, that things loosen up regarding distribution supply chains. Um, and so that the, the consumer will be used to this price point, but there will be a bigger margin of profit for the, the craftspeople. I would be fully okay with that. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see, but it's hard to say. I mean, there's a lot going on and, um, you know, I don't, I, you know, it's, it's easy to turn this into a, um, a political thing. And the bottom line is, is that I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I'm too naive to sit here and try to chime in. Like I'm sort of, sort of talking head on Bloomberg news or yeah, you know, I PBS mean, or whatever. I, you know, it needn't be political. It is just a reflection of our world has gone through a crazy crisis and everything's in flux. Everything's going to be shifting. Nobody can predict it. You know? Yeah. It's pretty crazy. I mean, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff. It's fun to read and to follow it all. And don't get caught up in it emotionally. It's, you're, you know, I'm not going to change anyone's mind and I don't intend to. But we should all anticipate paying more money for surfboards in the next few months. Absolutely. I just ordered a new board. Why am I not surprised? <laughs> surprise, surprise. Yeah. What did you order? I ordered a sunset surfboard. Sunset surfboards. I know them. Yeah. Well, they've been around since the 60s, Ed Wright and the Sunset Surfboards crew, right? Fredrickson. Brian, Brian Fredrickson. Yeah, my dear friend, Brian Fredrickson. And they've, um, so Brian has agreed to sell the brand to Todd McFarland, who used to shape for Channel Islands. So Todd is re -brand, uh, reintroducing the Sunset Surfboards brand to the marketplace. And I'm super excited about it. And, be, and as you know, I used to work there and I rode for Sunset for years. And so I, I was like all geeked up on helping Todd. So I, I'm, I just said, you know what, let me, I want to buy a board. I want to buy I want to be one of the first guys with the new sunset surfboard. So he made me a cool little trifling. I'm looking forward to riding it. That's a huge uh, news story. Huge reveal about the yeah. ownership change. Um, how long is it going to take for you to get that board? Are they backed up? Well, that's an interesting question. So I asked Todd that too, you know, I was like, and he's like, Hey, I can get a board turned around in three weeks. Amazing. And I think what's happening is that the smaller sort of more nimble individual guys 
have found a glass house, you know, small little mom and pop industrial park glass houses with only a couple of dudes in them. And they're, and if you're connected to them, if they're your friends, you can punch out, you can get six boards pushed through. It's the guys that are showing up with like, Hey, I need 30 boards a week. Can you help me? That's the stuff that's overwhelming these glass houses where they're like, Nope, don't even come in here. You know, like, you know, I've, I was at Christensen's the other day and I know that they were like telling me, you know what people want, people are coming in here and basically begging us to glass their boards and we just can't do it. We don't have the yeah. time. To spend. We're, we're swamped yeah. on our own. I mean, we're talking 12 weeks for a board, but what I'm getting at is that these smaller, like sort of, I don't want to say independent, but you get what I'm more boutique shapers are able to get, find some lubrication in the system and get boards out in three weeks. Well, you have uh, two boards in the queue then, right? You got the Wayne Rich and the Sunset. Is it just Wayne, those two? Wayne Rich. What about the uh, B-Dog? You said you're getting oh, a new dude, B-Dog. I mean, yeah, that I've had, I've had two Wayne Riches in the system for like two years. I don't oh, know okay. Wayne is on his, I do have a longboard coming from Wayne and I know it's getting done. And he, and I know he was excited about the B-Dog. So, but Wayne's, Wayne's suffering from the same thing everyone else is. It's hard to get people to glass boards. It's hard, man. Yeah. A lot of people are just glassing their own boards. In fact, I ran into Guy Takayama and he's like, I'm just doing my, I'm glassing now. I'm, I'm doing, he's like, I won't sand, but I'll glass. Yeah. You know, he's doing everything, but the sanding. Wild times. Um, another follow-up from last week. We were talking about Dana White's film about his father, A Life oh of God. Endless Summers. It's available. It. Yeah, it's available on YouTube, by the way. Um, we were, you and I were flummoxed in the moment. We're like, ah, where is it available on Prime? When's it coming? It is available on Amazon Prime, but it's also available on YouTube for free if you just watch the advertisements. So um, definitely go get that. And it's almost a shame that it slipped. I mean, the fact that you and I didn't know that it was already available last week, it slipped under everybody's radars. And it's a shame because it's fantastic. And it deserves kind of like a huge release with everybody talking about it. Um, but for those listening to this, we'll post it and uh, you guys could find that on YouTube. I, I saw it last week with my wife. It was, a, it was a really fun movie. I really enjoyed it. It's a bit of a tearjerker and uh, it's, uh, it's kind of fitting, right? It's, a, it's an homage to a time and to a group of guys that were absolutely iconic and um and i mean here we speak last week joe quig died this week rest in peace greg noll died um and a lot of the guys in the movies in the movie have already passed away and it's like this i mean for years now this generation of icons has been passing away but um you know they're really starting to leave us here it made me feel regretful that i've never reached out to greg Knoll for a podcast interview in the past years oh he's good he is a good interview and there's there's a number of those guys uh from that era that are still around and even making boards you know that it's kind of like man you and i should prioritize a list and just get busy banging out those interviews you know for posterity's sake that's true. Who would be on your list? Like, well, I don't want to name them. That'd be like creating a death pool right now. Oh, you know? God. Like, yeah. Thank I, you. <laughs> who would be the one to go next? Let's as long as I'm not on your list, I'm okay with this. Okay. Um, yeah. Good. Point. Did, did you have any notes, by the way, about Greg that you wanted to read, or shall I? I mean, 
I think everything you should, let's hear what you have to say. I will just say this. And I put this on my Instagram that I think perhaps um, nobody put the capital L in the word legend, the way Greg Knoll, he was, in my opinion, the first real legend and he lived up to that status and he, he carried and promoted himself in a sincere way like that. I mean, here's the guy that rode the, the largest wave ever, uh, you know, relatively speaking, paddled into for a long, long time until most, you know, recently within the last maybe 15 years or whatever. But anyway, Greg Knoll put the capital L in legend. I think he's the very first quote unquote legend. And um, because he, he was a legend. I mean, there's legend and lore about him, about his company, about the waves he rode, about the way he lived, about that time on the North Shore and at Makaha. And this guy was a friggin' legend. I mean, he was in Australia. He was, you know, he, he was with Duke. He was, you know, this guy. And he was such a great guy. I mean, what a great, great, fun, just bigger than life guy. How did... um what can you say about his board building, about his surfboard label? It's incredibly iconic. I mean, it's perhaps one of the most iconic labels in the world, and it will be forever. And he's got quite a few labels. You know, he's got the, the old film label. He's got the Greg Knoll surfboards label. He's got the Duke Kahanamoko. He's got the Knoll Rider. He's got a bunch of cool labels. They're all really great labels. And Greg Knoll surfboards, I mean, that is the shit, man, like. That is um, just, it's legendary, you know? And, it, and I'm struggling to find the right words because I don't want to, he deserves to, and a lot of guys have written some great stuff about him and his, who he was in the last couple of days. And I would urge everyone to read each and every one of those things. And I'm sure you've pulled up something good. Did Matt Warshaw have anything? I pulled this from Matt Warshaw's History of Surfing, the yeah. uh, coffee table book. Yeah. Not from the Encyclopedia of Surfing, but... Uh, basically it said Noel was and remains an outsized surfing character fitting perfectly inside a six foot and two inch 230 pound frame. Noel embodied the straight talking bare knuckled big wave rider of the late fifties and sixties. He brawled spontaneously and often drank until he vomited, then weaved back to the cooler for another cold one and was ready at all times to exercise a gloriously vulgar sense of humor. When Rick James shot sawed off his own thumb while working at Noel's surfboard factory, Noel rushed Rick uh, and an employee to the hospital offering comfort as best that he could. You know, he was just saying, they've got modern medicine, Rick, no sweat. They'll sew it back on. But when the doctor said that James's graying digit couldn't be reattached and he began instead to cauterize the wound, Noel pulled the nurse aside and quietly asked if he could have the thumb. Back at the factory, Greg poured two ounces of clear setting resin into a Dixie cup, then dropped the thumb in, <laughs> waited for the resin to harden and peeled away the cup and grinned down at the new paperweight. Noel could be charming, civil, and politic when it suited. He could be a gargoyle. The choice was his, and that was the point. There was a time, Greg Noel said, uh, where I had all the confidence in the world. I'd be getting my butt kicked good on a big wave, really ripped ar whipped around underwater, like my arms are being torn out of their sockets, and I would just start giggling because I knew that I was in control, and for years I felt that I was invincible, end quote. Yeah, that's cool. That's perfect. That's a great little anecdote from Matt Warshaw. And 
Um, there's a bunch of other great stuff out there and uh, I would do a disservice to try to chime in here with, you know, it's, I think I've where, said what. Where are men like Greg Knoll in 2021, Scott Bass? That's a great question. Where they're, they're in Alaska, you know, they're probably, yeah. they're hunting, they're hunting. That's exactly you know, where they Brown are. bear in Alaska. <laughs> you, know? you, you cannot exist in today's world. Uh, being that level of masculine, you know, like, first of all, you'll be canceled. Second of all, um, you won't be able to have a job like, but it existed with great purpose at that time. And there was a real reason and a need for it, you know, to survive in a rougher, rougher world. And maybe that's why Alaska would be the place where you kind of need a lot of that sensibility, but I miss it. I miss the machismo that, you know, was Clint Eastwood of my youth. He's kind of he's kind of an Ernest Hemingway type of a character, right? That's what when I think of Greg Knoll, I think of Ernest Hemingway, you know. The yeah, the unabashed and the I think the people surrounding them accepting the flaws and the bad that come with it. I yeah, think because everyone part. that experienced that, that was lucky enough to be in Greg Knoll's um, sphere, whenever that was, realized that he was a you know he was a, a kind and loving and wonderful man as well you know yeah well rest in peace greg knoll is his son jed still making boards absolutely yeah jed knoll surfboards yeah so jed knoll carries on the legacy of course yeah um and i think greg ended up in oregon right um i don't want to butcher it but i think it was the the north northern california somewhere oh, okay. like okay. i don't think it was oregon i think it was um one of those fishing communities in the far, like near the border of Oregon somewhere, you know? Gotcha. I was just wondering why so many of those guys end up in Oregon, like Jerry Lopez, Grubby Clark. Um, well, know. where yeah, Jerry well, Lopez lives is insane. It's it's on the eastern side of the mountains, right? So it's sunny. It's like the high desert here in California, basically. Yeah. You don't get the rain that you think that you might get if you're like, oh, I'm going to Oregon. It's going to rain every day. I believe in that sort of bend zone over there. Here's a funny story. So I was at an estate sale the other day. My This friend of mine runs estate sales here in San Diego. I went to high school with her. And whenever anything surf comes up, she like sends me a text. She's like, hey, there's some surf stuff here. You might want to check it out. you know. And she gives me like a little early bird look at stuff. And um, she sent me a text. And I it was in La Jolla. And I went, she goes, this is a full surf house. You got to come down here. So I went to La Jolla and visited this house. And it ends up it's Derek Dunphy's parents. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Derek Dunphy's parents are moving to Bend, Oregon. <laughs> They're like, Everybody we're out is. of here. Well, and I don't blame them. I mean, if, you know, if you're over 35 years old, you, you've seen a, like a big transformation in the state of California on a bunch of different levels. And, um, and so they're, they're packing up and leaving. And so, you know, that's my Bend, Oregon. That's my funny anecdote about Bend, Oregon well, is that everyone's going there. And I just ran into Derek's parents who were going there. The funny thing is I never heard about Bend, Oregon for the first 30 years of my life. And then in the past decade, I hear it three times a week. People yeah. moving there, it pops up in movies. Like it's huge. Oh, it, it's, we've, you've definitely like missed the boat on Bend. If you're, yeah. in fact, I was talking to Chris Morrow yesterday about it. <laughs> I think Chris owns a bunch of property up there. Shut but up. the point is, is that like, like Bend now, I think you can probably still get a pretty nice little place outside of Bend, like maybe five miles outside of Bend or whatever, you know? Yeah. 
But I think right around Bend, the property values have gone through the roof. There are places like Bend that still exist. But, oh, yeah. But now is the time to, well, some like, yeah, there's, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but it, the thing is, even though prices have gone through the roof in Bend, it's still nothing compared to Southern California. So whatever, whatever you're selling in Southern California, you can be a crappy condo in Chula Vista. You can still buy a nice property in Bend. I bet it's $800,000 for a crappy condo in Chula Vista. 800 I bet it is grand. Too. I bet it is too. That's just um, why people can't get into house. They, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. There's, I, I don't know the answer, but I know it's frustrating to a lot of people. By the way, the thing that's cool about Bend, right? You can snowboard, you can ski, you can fly fish, you can golf, you can play pickleball, David. You can um, mountain bike. You can, there's trails, there's rock climbing. Like it's, it's never ending the amount of outdoors cool shit you can do. It's absolutely gorgeous, beautiful. And oh, by the way, it's like probably a three and a half hour flight to Cabo if you just want to go surfing. Jerry surfs in Bend all the time. Right. There's a river there. I think is it the Hood River? Or... Yeah, there's rivers there. I mean, shit, there's all sorts of shit to do. Um, electric acid surfboard test. They released episode four a day early. These have been being dropped on Thursday. So we've been... Last week we talked episode two and then they dropped episode three and now episode four just came out this morning, a day early. I, I think so, episode five is tomorrow. So they're just, I didn't know yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, so they're just I'm pretty sure the final offloading, episode is tomorrow. offloading the whole series. Okay. Um, first thought I will share with you that I should have shared in previous weeks. God dang, they surf so good. I've yeah. just been really amazed at watching their surfing there's very few airs. So it's a lot of rail surfing, which maybe it's just more relatable to me or aspirational than watching, you know, so many <laughs> internet clips of people doing airs. But I, I, I found myself actually taking away a lot of pointers and it's because they're figuring out the boards as well. So I think they're just kind of like a little bit tentative and you can kind of see things plotted out a little bit more, but I find myself really studying the footage and really not even thinking of it, like subconsciously just going, all right, get low, you know, and like sink into your hips and like little details like that. I found myself learning a lot from watching the hose surf. Yeah. One of the things that, that popped into my mind and I just finished watching both three and four about an hour ago, I watched them back to back. Um, wouldn't it be cool if Sam and Ashton and, and Michael and the rest of the guys at STAB as they continue to evolve this really great product they have, if there was some way that you and I, the viewer, could vote on the boards that we think are the best boards for that, for, you know what I mean? Because my takeaway is that the Rusty Miso model, this like twin fin that rusts, a fish that Rusty made them, absolutely, it's, it's completely obvious that it's the best board. Like they're absolutely ripping on this board. Like, far and away better than any of the other surfing that I'm seeing being done. And I'm not sure the rusty Miso model made it into their top three. It didn't. Cause it might've made, it might no, have made, no, it didn't. Okay. Spoil, spoiler alert. Uh, but episode four, they start to cancel out boards that didn't make the cut. And that was one that is out. Well, I thought uh, it I was only out for Coco. I thought maybe Mason was still okay, okay with it. I don't know. I don't know, but, my Maybe point I'm is, mistaken. Is that, 
wouldn't it be cool if you and I could go, you know, yeah. what? it seems to me that Coco's surfing really good on the rusty, like that board needs to be in her top three. Like if we decided the top three, what a great way to get us even more engaged in this, you know, and then to have that scene where they go, Oh, this is what they voted on for me. Oh, okay. I guess. See, know. I don't think, I don't think it needs to be in real time with their, I think they can edit the project, put the project out and then just put a little poll underneath. It's very easy to implement on their website and on social media. Yeah. And that way at the end of the project, they could say, these are the boards that Coco and Mason picked. And then these are the fan favorites. And I think yeah. that it's super, it's a great idea that would be very easy to implement. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 you might be right that they're each picking their favorite boards separately, but what I got out of episode four, which I haven't yet finished, yeah. I'm halfway through it, um, was that they were discussing it as a, as a duet, as a duo, and then making a joint decision. Mm -hmm. And the three that the, I saw them can or the four that I saw them cancel out were the Bobby quad by CI, which I was shocked by because they, they did this whole soliloquy about how much they love that board. Coco's best wave of the trip was on that board. The one clip of Mason doing a big full rotation air that they've used in every single trailer for this piece for a month or two was on that board. And, uh, and then they go, they talk all these glowing things about it, reviewing it. And then they go, okay, canceled. We're not, we're not picking that one. I'm like, I know what? they did that with the rusty too. Exactly. Coco and was the, literally like, I love this board. This board's incredible. It's I, I can't believe how much I love this board. I was ripping on this board. It's out. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what? I know. It's really surprising. I almost, sent rusty a text going dude make me one of those right now like i i was i was frothing on that board Both the other two the other two that they got canceled out of that episode were the dark arts yeah which, which i was surprised by i thought they and the, served great on that board and the pukas yeah so i again haven't finished the episode so maybe there's more that they reveal there is. the piezel's out okay the piezel's out um in episode three one of the big moments for me and that was the album Plasmic. This is a really interesting board. I've never seen one in real life. We've seen Asher Pacey riding some of them. Asher rides such small boards, literally under five foot and he's a large man. So I, I never kind of can get a, I don't know, Asher's just a different animal. I can't really compare his surfing to what I'm doing or what he's riding to what I would want to ride. Yeah. But to see them both sizing up the plasmic, I thought was really interesting. Um, Matt Parker called it a slot channel. It's basically one really wide channel, almost a giant concave or maybe even double concave and a two big twin fins. He and used the phrase Bonzer bottom a few yeah, times. Yeah, he did. You're yeah. right. So um, Mason and Coco also didn't know how to assess the board from holding it, but Coco absolutely did phenomenal surfing on that board. Yeah. Now that you're talking about the Rusty, I'd have to go back and compare that footage side by side, but I thought she looked the best on that album Plasmic and even better than Mason, by the way. Yeah, that board looks really interesting. There's a lot going on there. There's, there's, you know, what I found interesting was Matt talked about the physiology of women and how they're yeah. obviously, obviously they're different. But if you really look at the physiology of women, he made a great point that a lot of people go, Oh, it's a girl's board. Let's just cut off the nose or like, let's shrink it by a half an inch everywhere. You know, instead of really looking at, you know, what needs to go down. And he specifically spoke to a woman's shoe size or foot size relative to him. You know, a lot of interesting stuff so he, there. 
he connected that to the width of the board. He was saying, look, you have a narrower foot. You need a narrower board essentially is what it comes down to. You have less ability to leverage and push with your heel and leverage with your toes. Uh, cause your foot's smaller. So you want to make it narrower. Do you use a pad? Dude, I put that in my notes too. That's a good discussion point. Um, I did not use a pad on the, uh, blackbird surfboards that I rode this morning. As a fanboy, I found myself just going, Mason gets it. Mason and I are connected. I get, cause I'm just like, so anti-pad. I'm old about, school wax guy and so I, busting aerials without a pad. And I think it's like, there's something there, bros. So I love the topic and you could easily convince me to never put another pad on my board. But when I got that channel islands too happy, it's a thruster. I, first thing I did was put a pad on it. I just think thruster pad, everything else, no pad. Hmm. You ride thrusters without pads. Yeah. I don't ever put pads on my boards. And part of it is, laziness <laughs> i just i get a new board i'm like wax the thing up and then i'm like oh shit i could have put a pad on it's too late now blah, blah, blah. You know? and so i just haven't ever used pads you know i just don't use pads and um wax you have you have felt what a pad feels like under your foot though right you've ridden oh yeah i mean I've, never, I've had boards with pads for sure you know but it's not not where i go you don't have um okay is there a feel thing or it's just strictly out of it's there's not a reason for it okay. like there's not i'm not like anti-pad i'm it's more that um like i said part of it is like i'm so frothed out that i just immediately start waxing up the board like and so now i like basically a, a pad has never been in my wheel it's never been in my thought process when i get a new board you know like yeah. put the fins in wax it up and go surfing and so it's not that i'm anti it's just i'm um i guess i'm ignorant to it the funny thing is um, I've never been hindered by not having a pad and I've, you know, it's, it's not like that little kick of a tail I've become dependent on it. And when the kick's not there, I find myself slipping off the back of the board or something like that. There's never been a hindrance. And I have actually stepped too far back. I can sense right now the feeling of being on a fish or a swallowtail where my foot's actually in that little divot. And then I have to adjust for it, but I've never, you know, I've never like needed the kick pad there when I didn't have it. So I was just thinking, it might be how, overrated. How how cringy were all of the pad companies? Every single pad company is like, why didn't they edit this out, man? And yeah. Mason was and, just like, you know what, kids, don't get pads; they're lame. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, there was a time like two or three years ago where he was drawing pads onto his board. Do you remember no. this? No. He'd get like a paint pen, literally, and draw a pad onto the table oh, of his board. Oh, so it, lo it looked like there was a pad there, but it was just waxed over. It was completely just <laughs> artwork, just That's like epic. as a joke. Yeah, I know. Or maybe like to try to get a sponsor. He's like, well, one of my sponsors does do pads, so I'm just going to paint a pad on the tails just to kind of appease them. He does have a, an accessory sponsor that makes pads. Who? And FCS. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's anti-pad. I'm just saying, man. And I'm it, it, to be honest, he's kind of anti-leash too. He's he was surfing most of those boards leashless. I mean, I think that's the way to do it. No pad, no leash. Hey, let's put it this way. Mason can do it. 
if there was any other, if there was any average tourist out there, yeah, at that <laughs> surf spot, if I, if I vacationed there, if I showed up there to go on a surf trip and there was any average surfer out there without a leash on, I'd want them to yeah, be wearing I, a leash. I'm, I'm the exact opposite. I wish more kooks would not wear leashes. I'm willing so they, to take so the they chance. Swim in. They won't be in the lineup, man. They That's will not be in the lineup. And they will learn whether they actually have the chops to be out there because they'll be swimming a lot. Most likely they will be. And it's just better for the lineup. It's just so much better for the lineup. And there are spots in San Diego where you're not allowed to surf with a leash. You will get sounded yeah. if you wear a leash. And it's been fine. I, I'm, I would love it if everybody just, no leash. I know that's never going to happen, but I think it would be epic. Remember the heat you got last time for this? I, You know what? Like I said, you know, like I'm not going to like please everybody, but if you're concerned about getting hurt, you know, Go down the beach where there's nobody. Yeah. Um, I don't disagree with you, Scott. Good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, uh, any uh, other thoughts on acid surfboard test? It's so much fun. Mason and Coco, as we've spoken about in the past, they are just gregarious and fun, and and um, they bring a lot to. They've done a good job. They, they you know, they are who they are. Um, you know, it might not be the most compelling insight, but my son and his buddy Taylor were talking about how they think that Mason does a really good job of conveying how the board works. And even though the vernacular is not super technical, yeah, you know, when Mason goes, yeah, it feels kind of sticky here. And then it was buttery up there. My son and, and his buddy were going, I get it. You know, like I can relate to that, that I speak that language, you know? Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. He's connecting with somebody then. Um, my must-see moment, Scott. You have, to, you have to take your five minutes to watch this. Okay. Russell Bierke. Yes. Love that. Have guy. you seen his latest film? Oh. Oh my gosh. Do you like Russell Bierke? I love Russell Bierke. Um. Okay. Russell Bierke is like the, he's like the uh, groundskeeper on The Simpsons. <laughs> he really is. <laughs> this might be. This might be the. Ma- machismo manly man that we were looking for did you see russell birke just like just going get off my fucking old man or however that scottish accent goes i don't know do it again i have no idea what you just said <laughs> i i don't know i'm gonna butcher it but i can't do a scottish accent it's, it's um, scotland i don't know that sounded pretty english birke i don't know you just sound like a pirate no matter which <laughs> No matter which accent you do, it's somehow pirate. Can we all agree that Birky's the groundskeeper on The Simpsons? <laughs> Even your Come Mason Ho sounded like a pirate to me. <laughs> um, yeah, he actually does. And he kind of has a similar look, to be honest. If he bulked up a little bit, if he added some uh, added some muscle. Yeah. Uh, Birky, I forget. And then twice a year, I'm reminded that Russell Birky might be my favorite surfer. He's freaking unreal. There is... There is nothing to criticize in his surfing and his charging is just heroic. The types of waves that he's surfing and his approach to them is just absolutely insane. And there's an argument to be made that he he could be the best big wave surfer in the world. Like it's oh, interesting because we don't see him surfing necessarily at uh, Piahi 
I've seen him out there once or twice. Yeah. I've never seen him at Waimea. So it's hard to kind of actually play that game. But yeah. when you look at what he's doing, dude, I don't see Billy Kemper doing that. I don't see Nathan Florence doing what he's doing. He's on a whole different level in the types of waves that he's in. He's got a certain reckless abandon walking that fine line and he's paid the price numerous times. Um, you know, severely injured a couple of times. I mean, he, that guy just, he is fearless. Um, you'd call it reckless abandon. Yeah. I don't, is it, or is it calculated? I, I think it can be both. How's that calculated reckless. I abandon. Yeah. I don't <laughs> see that. I think the calculated and reckless are opposing words. Well, they are, but think about it. I mean, he's surfing these gnarly ledges, huge, massive, gnarly ledges, right? So he's calculating what he's doing. But at some point, you're like, oh, shit, I got to go and or not pull back. You know, you never see him pull back. Never. The types of waves that he's surfing are uncalculable, you know? Right. Like like they're so mutant that I, they're, the reckless might be the only way to approach it. Uh-huh. But um yeah, his so his latest film put out by O'Neill is called Vantage Points. And um, I think it's a series, actually. And this is episode three in the series, but it's only five minutes long, which I love. It doesn't require a ton of time commitment and it packs a punch. Every single wave packs a punch. So that is what I would recommend watching. What I was shocked by more than anything is that there's only 13,000 views on it. And there's so much mediocre content that I see coming out yeah. week in and week out. And it's got 50,000 views, you know, or a hundred thousand views or 500,000 views if it's a vlog from Jamie O'Brien or something, but 13,000 is ridiculous. Yeah. That, there needs to be more. I mean, I guess that's just a marketing snafu, right? How come the fact that you are? haven't seen it shocks me. <laughs> right. Exactly. You should have been, you should have been one of those. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going makes to be. me wonder. Makes me wonder what the view count is for the electric acid surfboard test. Actually, yeah. Well, let's see if we. I bet we can ask those guys. I don't think they'll tell you. It'll indicate how many subscribers they have behind the paywall. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm re- I'm looking at the World Surf League here, and there's some interesting stuff about how badly Kelly Slater Kelly Slater wants his Olympic spot. I guess Kelly's been like, you know, texting John John, like, how's the knee going, bro? He's he going to Nancy Kerrigan him. He's he going to Tony Harding him. He might want to sit out a, a few more months. I, I've had this injury and I, I think you, it needs a, you know, you don't, you don't want to jeopardize future world championships. This could end your career. Why don't you sit out and let me have the Olympic spot? See, so your Kelly Slater um, accent is a little more spot on than your Scottish. Um, Uh, i can see him putting a banana peel outside john john's doorstep hey the reason i pulled this up is because i was wondering if there's an event before the olympics and mexico is in august okay that's what i was so there's not okay so it goes olympics then mexico then show yep yep so all eyes Um, are on the olympics right i mean we're shoot three weeks away from basically opening ceremonies. Yep. And it appears that they're going to allow some spectators on the beach, some Japanese nationals to, to 
uh, you know, to go to some of these events, to some of these sporting events, to be spectators, at some of these events for whatever that's right. worth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as of right now, Chloe Andino and John, John Florence are still in the event. Yeah. I mean, everything yesterday they had USA surfing had their big, like kickoff Olympic kickoff thing in San Clemente. And, um, I mean, it's all systems go for Kalohe and, and uh, John John. I honestly, even if they're not 100% like confident, I could see them going to Japan and assessing the surf conditions up until the day of the event. You know, and if it was 10 foot hurricane surf, maybe they would pull the plug and not go risk it. But if it's, if it's going to be small and marginal, yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I look at it like this too. I mean, let's be let's be serious here. Um, for Florence Marine X and for Kolohe's sponsors and for all of John John's sponsors, you know you're calling John John and going, dude, do you realize that this is the Olympic Games? Like, like come on, like show up. Like you kind of got to slap them a little bit, or maybe not. Maybe they get it, but it's like, dude, you're going to represent the United States of America the first time ever in a hundred years. They're going to go. Who was on the first USA surfing team? But pull your head out of your ass. I don't care if you're hurt or not. You're going to surf in the Olympics. Like if you're the manager, you're going, do you realize what the opportunity here, even if you have to bow out because of injury? Yeah. You've got to show you gotta, up. You've got you to put on a face that you're going to give it your all. And like, this isn't like a CT event in Brazil, dude. You, you're go to Japan. It's the Olympic games, you know? And so I'm sure they didn't have to get that kind of pressure on them. I'm sure that they saw the big picture, but I'm also sure that somebody kind of went, Hey, just so you're aware, like you understand what this means, right? Like for your career, for your trajectory, for your legacy, you'd be an idiot not to go to Japan. They knew that yeah. uh, in 2019 when they, that's why John John came back from injury at pipe was strictly to shore up his position, you know? Yeah. So yeah, they definitely get it. And yeah, I almost, I feel, I agree with you almost regardless of their performance in the games, they need to, they should at least paddle out and surf it. Yeah. Uh, but Kelly sh honestly should also show up too, just to vibe, throw some, throw some Slater vibe down. Like stink. <laughs> I go up and hug people, injured. tell them that you love them. Like what if you went up to this, uh, who would be the greatest, who would be the guy that Kelly could go up to like randomly, like run out of the crowd, give a hug to look at me. I go, I love you, man. Like which there you go. Boom. That, that would be epic. Say it in like Portuguese, you know, like <laughs> practice on the, the whole plane flight over, have Duolingo up and practice saying, I love you in Portuguese. This is um, like a Larry David episode we're producing here. I do feel like um, Kelly does need to show up because any of those really? guys could get, well, he should get any of those guys could get injured. Yeah in the days leading up to the event and cross training or in the event itself, you know, like, I don't know how the subbing works, but he should be yeah. there on, on site because I think you have to be, if you're committed to the USA team, like, okay. I, mean, you're, I think, I mean, it's like Kelly, you're going right. Like, I mean, if you're the alternate and you don't go they're like, well, let's put in somebody who will show up. I'm sure that Kelly's going to be there and he's going to give a hug. He needs to you give know, a hug to somebody. You know, it was cool. Um, was him surfing that he was him surfing that, uh, 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 expression session heat at lowers last week during the USA, during whatever event they were doing down there. Yeah. Uh, that was cool. Seeing Kelly at lowers again. 
you yeah, see that? I didn't. I didn't. I missed that. Oh, okay. No. But well, we looked, need a hashtag. He looks good. He did a carving 360. Whatever. Let's go hashtag Kelly hug. Kelly hug Gabe. Hashtag Kelly. The hug, the hug heard round the world. Hashtag hug heard round the world. Hashtag Kelly hug Gabe. <laughs> we'll work on it. Oh, Lord. Um, so another film that everybody should watch this week. There's been a string actually of good uh, surf content. It's just called Surfing. It's made by Dan Scott out of Australia. It's a compilation of footage from the past year. It's an all-female surf film, um, and it's really good, Scott. And they're ripping. It's um, Stephanie Gilmore, Nikki Van Dyke, Tyler Wright, Macy Callahan, Dimity Stoyle, and uh, yeah, Dan Scott directed, produced, shot, and it's fun. It's groovy, and they rip. It's really good. Yeah. Twenty five minutes. Let me throw three names at you that I think Isabella Nichols close that are about uh, as influential of surfers from a mainstream perspective as anyone in the surf world. I'm going to make the female names. I'm going to make the claim that these people are more influential than anybody in the surf world. Okay. Except for Duke maybe. Okay. And I know I'm going to get shot down by you, and that's okay, but I want to throw this out. That's my role. So, so the first one, I think, more influential than – I mean, it could be argued more influential than Duke, but maybe not. But first one is Gidget, the concept of Gidget as a movie as far as launching sort of a slew of mainstream media, mainstream films about you know beach blanket bingo. Gidget kind of started it off. There was a book, there was a TV show, there was a movie. Gidget, more influential, has caused more people to recognize and understand and embrace surfing than perhaps anybody. Here's another name, Bethany Hamilton. Bethany Hamilton is probably the most influential female surfer ever. Here's another name. More than Gidget? In a, in a weird way, Gidget kind of, you couldn't have Bethany without Gidget, so maybe not. But the other name is the princess who's the first surfer, the first acknowledged surfer ever from the 1600s on Oahu. Polynesian. Queen. Queen oh, princess. Oh, princess yeah, what was her name? I don't I know. her name too. But my point is, is that. The fact I, that we didn't even know who she was until last week. Makes me say that's a nah. Yeah, that's probably a nah. But I mean, Gidget and Bethany, Kelly Slater, more influential than Bethany Hamilton? I don't think so. I'm talking How mainstream you, influence. Yeah, it's hard to even measure it, you know? And like, like I mean, you, you gotta said, go with your gut. Just go with your gut. Just go my, with your gut. My gut says Kelly. Would we even have Bethany without Kelly? You know what I mean? Like, Kelly is a nexus, he's a cornerstone that everything after him. It just wouldn't be what it was if he wasn't there. So it's hard to put her at that more, because she because she wasn't she wasn't a cornerstone in the same way that Kelly was. You know what I mean? Like I'm things have come mainstream out. acknowledgement I, of the I sport of surf. Okay, I understand what you're saying. I don't think you understand the reach that Bethany Hamilton has. Maybe I don't. You're, you're kind of got this like 
and it's understandable because I have it too, but this real Southern California surf media blinkers, you know, like all we think about is what lowers is like, you know, I'm talking about big picture, global influence. I think Bethany is probably right up there with meaning, Kelly. meaning yeah. if you, if you just picked a random person in a random country and yes. gave them, gave them the two names and yes. see which one they could identify, they yes. might know Bethany Hamilton. Yes. Okay. So if that's your metric, then I would argue that's almost no influence at all. Like, like all they know about her is her name and maybe her story about the shark, but that they're not influenced about surf culture in any way. You know what I mean? They just know this, this totem that, that is surf related, but it's, it's not influential. They just know her name. That's a good point. Well, maybe you've shot me down. That's okay. Let me ask you this, though. Bethany, is she more influential on the mainstream level, not within our culture, but on the mainstream level, than Laird Hamilton? It's interesting. They both have the same last name. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I think she might be. I think too, even as I champion her as being really influential, I, I don't even think we really understand the, the um, inspiration and the, the depth of um, the amount of people that Bethany touches. Because there's all, these, like, there's all these like school programs, like there's all sorts of stuff that Bethany does that we don't even know about, like that her, chair, like that her foundation does that's, that's like global, you know? But yeah, anyway. yeah, it's an interesting thought exercise. I'm having a hard time measuring influence. So yeah. if it was just the number of people in the world that know her name versus know Laird's name, then yeah, maybe more people know her name than Laird's. But, and actually maybe not, maybe more hers than Kelly's, but Laird's name is on SUPs and it's on food packaging that they see at Costco, you know? So but it can't it just could, be name recognition. It has to be, well, you right. know, who they are and what they've done, right? Right. And so then, yeah, once you kind of get into that layer, then it's like influence is measured in a different way. Um, I don't know. It's hard. It's an impossible game to answer. Definitively. I mean, one Scott. thing to do would be to figure out how many followers Laird has versus how many followers Bethany has. Bethany has more for sure. Un undoubtedly. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Maybe I'm right then. Um, let, me, let me look. But is Instagram the only form of measurement? No, nowadays? but it's, yeah. one, it's certainly one metric. She Who are you looking two, up? Bethany has 2.1 million followers. Okay, I'll do Laird then while you're doing that. And I doubt Laird has that many. He has 354,000. She's almost four times more influential than Laird, according just to this metric. Does and Laird have an incredible Kelly has 2.7. Wow, see? Now... Does do either Kelly or Laird have a feature length film made about their story? I don't think so. No, they, they, they all have documentaries because that's a kind of a no brainer. Yeah. She has yeah. a feature length film featuring a world class, world known actress. So, um, yeah, was so, it Carrie Underwood that played Bethany or no? Carrie Underwood played Bethany's friend or something. Carrie Underwood, did she play? She, she might have played Alana Blanchard. No, she played a mom. I think she oh, played she, a mom. Oh, maybe she played. Did Bethany's. you ever see the film? 
I might have because my daughter was super influenced by this. Movie. Okay. I don't, I, I'm, it have not seen a lot of Hollywood interpretations of surf films. Like I just watched chasing Mavericks for the first time a couple of months ago. I never saw the new point break. I've watched the old one, of course, but um, I've never seen either of the old. Really? The old one's really good. Those things are good just as movie. Like Point Break is good just as a movie. You know, like it. They happen yeah. to be about surfing, but mm. it's just entertaining. Period. Um, so Scott, my Duke. Yes. Of the week. Yes. Do you know who Logan Doolian is? Oh, Logan Doolian. Yeah. Don't know him. All right. Well, he makes films. He makes surf films. A uh, series of films called Snapped, which oh, yeah. uh, Snapped Four they're putting together now. So yeah. you can follow that on Instagram. They've got a good following and they post lots yeah. of really good clips. Yeah. Anyways, Logan Doolian encountered a young Costa Rican amputee mm. on his travels, and this kid, his name's Daryl Melendez Davila. Yeah, the way that he he's an unbelievable surfer with one leg. And so Logan Doolian um, started this GoFundMe campaign and in the matter of two weeks raised $25,000 to get uh, Daryl a prosthetic so that he could like obviously not only walk around, but he could actually surf on the prosthetic as well. Yeah. It's a really great story. And the kid is a very committed surfer. What was sad was when he was 11 years old, the way that he lost his leg was when he was 11 years old, um, some people tried to rob him in Costa Rica, like just some local people. And he ran away from them and got hit by a train. Oh my the God. Train, the train actually took his leg. Oh my so Lord. really a uh, tragic story, especially for an 11 year old kid. Yeah. And he was terrible. conscious the whole time, by the way, he got hit by the oh train and he was conscious. So uh, it essentially mangled the leg bad enough to where he had to have it amputated in the hospital. Yeah. But um, he's going to be competing in the adaptive surfing world games and um this prosthetic leg is made available due to logan doolian's uh campaign so cool watch snapped for sign up for all of that stuff and keep track of it all there and uh continue watching daryl's journey too well very good um yeah yeah that's that's a wonderful duke thank you yes good job logan logan you demand. How can you be the man when David's uh, the man? <laughs> you, shout out, by the way, we yeah. at the top of the show, neatessentials.com and of course, surfnvs.com. Uh, that Blackbird board that I've been writing, Tim had NVS make him some fins for it. So he sent me a set of those as well. And that's what I've been writing in them. Um, they look like the Stu Kenson fins. Do you have the Stu Kensons? I don't know if I do have the Stu Kensons. Actually, they, so. they, they're, I got it's, like albums. A, it's, it's like between a keel and an upright essentially is what the blackbird fins are like. Yeah. So they're wide. They've got a wide yeah. base. Yeah. But they're, but they're kind of upright and yeah. they're kind of tall as well. It's a lot of fin. Um, yeah. But I, I've been loving them. I like them, especially in that board. I find, smaller board with big fins like they actually hold really really well so uh i don't know if they're available on surfnvs.com but check out the blackbird fins if you're interested yeah it's funny todd mcfarland has a fin like that that he just made for himself for his own board like a glass on well that's, that's kind of bassy but 
upright but kind of carved out like almost like the c drive but not as not as right. uh yeah accentuated yeah. um that's another selling point by the way for nbs fins surfboard shapers who don't have the ability to order like a small surfboard shaper who wants a custom fin for a specific board that they made but can't do the uh, large production numbers that maybe another fin company might require. NVS can do very small runs. And I've had listener even reach out and say that they had NVS just make them a one-off set. It was just, he wasn't a surfboard shaper. He's just a surfer who's been wanting a specific type of fin and nobody offered it. So he reached out to NVS, provided them with the design and they made a one-off custom set of fins for him. So. You know what this cool... makes me think of is, I'm, I'm, I'm in love with this 180 surfboard that I've been riding and it's got all this concave in the tail and it's got those pivoting fin system, right? The pin. Mm -hmm. And I love this board. And I got thinking to myself, I'm not sure how I look surfing on it, but I like the way it feels. And that kind of brings me back to the electric acid surfboard test. Cause I remember Coco Ho kind of saying that, like, I'm not sure what it looks like, but I really like riding it, you know? And I kind of feel that way about this board. Like, I don't think it's the most, zippy quick you know dynamic probably look under my feet but i sure do feel good when i ride it like it feels super solid and and i know where it's gonna go and there's no drama you know it's kind of an interesting thing this it, idea that it might not look like the best board but it's the one i want to ride get the surf uh surf line rewind footage and see what it looks like yeah, that would require me to surf somewhere with a cam. Oh, like you don't. <laughs> I know where you surf. Hey, what time is it? I always paddle up to do this. I go, hey, do you know what time it is? <laughs> yeah, and they're exactly. like, what? You got to go to work? No, I need to check the surf line cam. <laughs> Scratch the time into your wax so you don't are you forget. Are you late for school? No, I'm just going to check the surf line cam. Yeah. yeah. All right, Scott. Well, hey, uh, good show. Until next week, there's no WSL events on. What are you going to do with your time? Watch oh, the man. Tour de France. I'm busy. I'm busy with the Guitar Lovers Festival happening November 6th and 7th. We've got a, a hall filled with handcrafted guitars made by luthiers and um, all the gear and fun accessories. and um, Headstock. And Headstock, Guitar Lovers Festival. Check out guitarloversfestival.com. Guitarloversfestival.com. So I'm busy with that. And I'm busy with the boardroom surfboard show presented by U.S. Blanks. And I'm busy with the California Gold Surf Auction. I got so much going on right now. Crazy. It's crazy. I had a listener pull me aside the other day and go, hey, what's up with the podcast? I'm used to like Tuesday afternoon being able to grab. I always, you know, I spend time with my daughter and we, we listen to the podcast together. And what? I'm like, oh, man. Yeah, I'm like, bummer, man. Like, he was like. No more Tuesdays, huh? And I'm like, yeah, sometimes it's Thursday. Even, but today it's Wednesday. <laughs> Why aren't we doing Tuesday anymore? Uh, I'll tell you off the air. Actually, oh, okay. we, could do, we could do Tuesday, actually. It's Wednesday, actually, that I have problems with now, Wednesday mornings. But we, maybe we should go back all, to Tuesday. Yeah, whatever you want. I'm available. Tuesday mornings. Sure, right. put it on me. Make me the bad guy. Not bad guy. You're the one who started doing it on. You said, "Can we do it on Wednesdays?" And I said, "Yes." Then last week you said, "Can we do it on Thursdays?" And I said, "Yes." Oh, by the bad way, guy, it's just your scheduling. I did a um, podcast with Mitch from um, Tales from the Cobblestones. Yep. You know Mitch Robinson in San Clemente, and somehow or another, he got back to the what he considers, and what I think many consider the greatest episode ever, which is our fight episode. <laughs> 
he's like the fight tell us about the fight and i'm like oh, i don't even really remember i think mostly you know my ego is i was insecure so i attacked david is basically what i told him and he goes that episode is all blah, blah. and i go well maybe david can dig it out and we need to like it exists. It's in the feed. I just don't know what episode is, it is. Is it the most downloaded episode ever? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. I don't think so. Because I think there's probably new listeners that don't know about the fight. Well, that's hilarious that he um, had such a reverence for that episode. <laughs> or that it was significant to him. It was insignificant in a lot of ways. I mean, he's a listener that goes back to my yeah. days on terrestrial radio. So he's yeah, been yeah. listening to everything. So... And anyway, yeah, he brought up the fight. And I go, oh, I'll ask David if he knows if, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I could find it easily. I could find Special which number episode it was. Subscriber only episode. Um, put it behind <laughs> a paywall. <laughs> Probably not that great. It's just, who knows? All right, Scott. Well, until next week, we'll, we'll find something new to fight about. Tuesday. We'll try to do it Tuesday next week. Uh, until next time, adios and aloha.